Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Russia launching its biggest air attack on Ukraine since the war began. The lead starts right now. Russia targeting Ukraine with a nearly unprecedented number of missiles and drones fired at targets all across the country. Schools, factories, warehouses, hospitals hit in one of the largest air assaults of this war. We'll show you more of that devastation. And President Trump removed from the 2024 primary ballot again, this time in Maine, how his campaign and his rivals are responding. Plus, a road wave causing chaos in California, the terrifying moment it slammed into the coastline and why officials say the threat isn't over. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Erica Hill, in for Jake Tapper. We start with our world lead and an attack unlike anything we have seen since the start of the war in Ukraine. Russian strikes blanketing Ukraine from east to west, killing at least 31 as of this hour and injuring more than 150. Cruise missiles, drones and bombers flooded Ukraine's air defenses in what Ukraine says is the worst attack since Russia's full-scale invasion nearly two years ago. Russia targeted Ukrainian air bases, but also hit apartment buildings, a metro station and a maternity hospital in Dnipro. A hospital official says windows were smashed, ceilings broken. And while women and newborns were able to get to a bomb shelter in time, we are learning more about the dozens killed in these attacks across the country, including one of Ukraine's most celebrated basketball players, a Lviv official confirming Viktor Kobzitsi's death. The onslaught comes shortly after the U.S. sent its final military aid package to Ukraine. That is, of course, until Congress approves more. This caps off an incredibly tough year for Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, including a counteroffensive that failed to meet expectations as Russia vows to continue fighting and turns its heavily sanctioned economy into a brutal war machine. It's not just Ukrainians, though, on high alert tonight. Poland, a NATO country, noting a, quote, unidentified object crossed into its airspace, and then disappeared. CNN Portugal international reporter Helena Linz has a close-up look at the destruction in Kyiv. Yes, if in the morning we were in an area where a business building uh, was hit, it was not being used, so partly destroyed, but uh, no people inside. Also from the other side of the street, there was a metro station that was also uh, uh, hit. Uh, it was uh, the main entrance was closed. People could still access it from another side, and the metro was already uh, working. Right now, we are not very far from uh, that area, but actually in a place where there's uh, some warehouses. And this warehouse be- behind me was actually hit during this attack. Let me just uh, take you inside and show you what actually uh, the the destruction that is inside. Because uh, you know the the warehouse was hit, it caught fire. Uh, when we arrived here, the smoke was still very visible from the outside. Right now, uh, we can still see smoke in the inside. Uh, the smell is actually also strong. Um, and for some time, we couldn't access uh, the inside of uh, the warehouse because firefighters were still trying uh, to uh, stabilize uh, so nothing could actually uh, fall. 
uh, the, we now have permission to enter and as you can see uh, you know uh, there is the structure is uh, completely uh, destroyed the roof of the warehouse is totally destroyed and we are actually walking most of the time on uh, shattered uh, glasses on fragments of the warehouse but also of the equipment that was inside i was speaking with the uh, general manager of uh, the, the the company the, which is actually a german company working in ukraine and he was telling me there is only electrotechnical equipment here there's no weapons uh, and it's now mostly destroyed so warehouse is destroyed they'll have to look for a new one uh, what is inside they're trying to understand whether or not they can still recover something and now estimating also the cost of the destruction um, the, uh, the the company is still gonna continue working in ukraine that's at least what he was telling me but you know it's very difficult right now uh, to recover from all uh, this loss there was no one inside the warehouse when the attack happened it was in the early hours in the morning but uh, speaking with the firefighters at least uh, I mean two people uh, asked for uh, to be assisted uh, by the emergency services because uh, this this was the the main warehouse that was hit but there's also other buildings around so two people needed to be assisted by uh, the emergency services as I was telling you Firefighters are uh, still here. Uh, works is still being uh, uh, done uh, in this um, uh, uh, warehouse. Where there's still a lot of smoke, uh, and the smell is really strong. Uh, but as, as you were saying, not only Kiev was hit, which uh, was very unexpected. You know, sirens have been going off in the capital for uh, uh, almost every day. But it was not. Uh, no one was expecting this size of destruction, but also other cities in Ukraine. And this shows the scale of the attack of uh, last night and this morning. Our thanks again to CNN Portugal's Helena Lins for that report. Uh, let's get straight to CNN's Oren Lieberman. Oren, as we look at that destruction there, we hear the numbers and the scope of these attacks. What are the chances that this will change the mind of U.S. lawmakers when it comes to funding when they return to Washington? Well, that's what President Joe Biden is hoping for. He put out an incredibly forceful statement after this attack, an attack that Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says included more than 160 missiles and drones, again, the largest since the war began. In a statement released earlier today, Biden said of this attack, it is a stark reminder to the world that after nearly two years of this devastating war, Putin's objective remains unchanged. He seeks to obliterate Ukraine and subjugate its people. He must be stopped. In that statement, Biden went on to demand from Congress that they find some sort of compromise and pass the supplemental that includes approximately $60 billion in aid for Ukraine. The issue is Ukraine is not the question here. There is generally bipartisan support for Ukraine, certainly in the Senate, but also in the House. The issue is that Biden and House Speaker uh, Mike Johnson need to find compromise on border security and on immigration policy. And that remains the challenge. Negotiators have been at work. They have made some progress but not enough, and they're not over the line yet. And that's what Biden is hoping for here. The challenge, Erica, lawmakers aren't in session right now, so having those conversations that can come as a direct result of something like this and the dynamics and seeing if this moves anyone, simply not possible right now and not for uh, some time until we can see if this really had an effect and can move the needle on, how, uh, on whether and how quickly the U.S. can pass aid that includes aid for Ukraine. Yeah, it's a really important port, uh, point, rather. Also wanted to uh, ask you about Poland, a NATO country, of course, shares that border with Ukraine, as we know. The fact that Poland saw what was referred to as an unidentified object enter Polish territory, it is significant. Put that in context for us, if you could. 
It's absolutely significant. As you point out, that, that didn't just violate Polish airspace. It therefore violated NATO airspace. And Biden, as well as others, have vowed to, defect, to defend every inch of NATO territory. Poland, in fact, went on to summon the Russian charge of the affairs there and ask for an explanation as to why they say a missile of Russian origin violated their airspace. They say they were tracking it from the very beginning, from the moment it entered their airspace until it disappeared, demanding some sort of explanation for that. Is this likely to lead to a war between Russia and NATO? No, certainly not. But any violation of NATO airspace is absolutely uh, significant and worth tracking, Erica. Also worth noting that after this attack that we saw today, Ukraine has demanded a meeting of the UN Security Council. Oren Lieberman, appreciate it. Thank you. Joining us now, CNN Global Affairs analyst Kimberly Dozier. Kim, so when we look at everything, let's start there with Poland. The fact that this Russian missile potentially flew through Polish airspace, NATO airspace, right, as Oren just pointed out. What do you make of that in terms of a signal from Russia? Well, I find it interesting that unlike previous times when objects have landed in Poland and there's been some question about was Ukrainian, was it Russian, that the Poles this time tracked the item all the way from its launch and its whole trajectory. Uh, that tells me that they've moved some assets uh, near the border to make sure that nothing stray falls on their territory again. And it gives them a reason to warn Moscow, you got too close, you don't wanna hit a NATO ally. When we look at this attack itself, the fact that it was so large, that it was so widespread across Ukraine, does this look like retaliation to you for Ukraine's hit on a Russian landing ship in Crimea on Monday? I, you know, it's going to be a gut punch for the Ukrainians on a number of different fronts. Yes, it's Moscow fighting back after losing yet another naval vessel, and this was in a sneak attack in Crimea. But it's also a signal both to the Ukrainians and to the U.S. and any Ukrainian ally that's trying to send aid to Ukraine that Moscow shows no signs of tiring of this war, that it's able to carry out this kind of attack almost two years into the war, shortly going into the third year. Uh, we hear um, from Russia that it has no trouble supplying uh, ammunition to the front lines. You don't know how much of that is disinformation, but what we have heard from Ukrainian officials is a debate over uh, the defense chief wanted to call up uh, half a million people and lower the age that he could um, draft people into service and has also talked about a lack of ammunition coming in. Those are signs that Ukraine is um, getting tired or running out at least of the weapons it needs to keep prosecuting this war as well as some of the manpower. And, and yet, as we, as you pointed out, we're entering now, uh, we're about to wrap up the second year, entering the third year of this war. What should this tell us about Russia's potential plans for the winter and whether this is also perhaps a bit of a, a domestic flex, if you will, on the part of Vladimir Putin ahead of that upcoming election? And I use sort of election in quotes. Yeah, good point. I mean, um, Putin's running uh, for the leadership again, and there's no one really to challenge him. There's no real doubt about who will win come spring. Um, but it does demonstrate to Ukrainians and to the world and to Russians that he is fully committed to this war and no one is really standing against him. Nobody seems to be able to stop Russia's march and it has enough people to outnumber the Ukrainians and the military um, manufacturing might to just keep going. Kimberly Dozier, always appreciate your insight. Thank you. Thanks.
Coming up here, a closer look at Donald Trump's 14th Amendment challenges. We're going to go state by state. Plus, the terrifying moment. A rogue wave crashed ashore in California, sending beachgoers running for safety. Why the danger is not over tonight for the West Coast. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern. That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Our law and justice lead intersects with our political lead today. Maine has joined Colorado in kicking Donald Trump off the ballot based on the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, which bars people who took part in an insurrection from holding office. Other states, most recently Michigan, have rejected that argument, leaving Trump on the ballot. Multiple states, multiple challenges, yet all these roads lead to the U.S. Supreme Court. CNN's Paula Reed starts off our coverage. The Supreme Court facing increasing pressure to weigh in on whether states can remove former President Trump from the 2024 ballot. After Maine became the second state to kick him off based on the 14th Amendment's ban on insurrectionists holding public office. No secretary of state has ever deprived a presidential candidate of ballot access based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. But no presidential candidate has ever engaged in insurrection and been disqualified under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. In Maine, ballot eligibility questions first go to the Secretary of State, not the courts. Trump has called for Democrat Shanna Bellows to recuse herself in this case because of previous comments about January 6th, where she tweeted, the Jan 6 insurrection was an unlawful attempt to overthrow the results of a free and fair election. She did not remove herself from the matter, and now the issue heads to the courts as Trump and the state's Republican Party vow to appeal. Our voting rights uh, enshrined in the Constitution are sacred to us, and to have one particular person uh, remove remove really the, the, the top candidate from the ballot because she dislikes that person, uh, just smells of, of 
politics. The question of Trump's ballot eligibility has been debated in multiple states, with only Maine and Colorado taking him off the primary ballot. Even California on Thursday opted to include him. In a statement, the Trump campaign accused Colorado and Maine of election interference, attempted theft of an election, and the disenfranchisement of the American voter. Even some of Trump's rivals have criticized states taking him out of the running instead of leaving it to voters. It makes him a martyr. You know, he, he's very good at playing poor me, poor me. Can you have a Republican secretary of state? Uh, disqualify Biden from the ballot because he's let in 8 million people illegally. The Colorado GOP has already appealed that state's ruling to the United States Supreme Court, asking the justices to take up three key questions. Does Section 3 of the 14th Amendment apply to a president? And is Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to be enforced by states? and also asking whether the GOP has a First Amendment right to choose its candidates. Trump is also expected to appeal. They're trying to take the election away from the voters. Even states like Michigan and Minnesota that opted to keep Trump on the primary ballot left the door open to relitigate this issue for the general election. So unless the Supreme Court weighs in here, this is something that could hang over the 2024 race through November. Erica. Buckle up, right? Well, as we wait to see, Paula, if the court will take this up, I was struck by something former uh, Nixon White House counsel John Dean told me last night. Take a listen. Trump's in trouble. He's in trouble wherever this is legitimately raised and addressed. So, yes, the Supreme Court is going to have to uh, weigh in on it. I want to see those strict constructionist and originalist get around that language. I don't know what they can do with it other than take him off the ballot. Is it that simple, Paula? No, it's, it's not, Erica. And for example, Section 3 does not mention that it applies to presidents, which is why we have seen judges, even within the same state, come to different conclusions on this issue. There are also open questions uh, about whether this should be enforced by Congress or if it should be enforced by the states. I mean, particularly that president uh, aspect, that is something that originalists will absolutely want to analyze. And if it was so simple and so straightforward, we wouldn't be seeing these differing outcomes uh, across these various states that have contemplated this issue. And lastly, uh, there's also this outstanding question of whether this amendment is in conflict potentially with the First Amendment. These are questions, Erica, that have never been litigated before. So to say the outcome is so obvious, I mean, that just belies the complexity of the situation. Paula, appreciate it as always. Thank you. Well, we've looked at the legal part of this now, right? I said there was a little intersection, so let's talk politics if we can. Jackie, when we look at this, the Supreme Court is really facing, this is yet another hugely consequential moment, right. something they really don't seem to want, but the impact here will go far beyond the 2024 election. And even if they chose not to take up Colorado or not to weigh in on all three of those questions, that in itself, Jackie, would send a message that is inherently political in this day and age. Absolutely, Erica. And here's the thing. This is just another way that this 2024 election is going straight through the courts. We've heard it with the many Trump indictments and now with these questions, which really makes us in uncharted territory. But speaking strictly politically, and Chris Christie got into this a little bit. I mean, these we've yet to see whether some of these rulings um, from Maine and Colorado are just going to rally 
more people around Trump and could perhaps uh, throw off some of the efforts of a Nikki Haley or a Ron DeSantis to um, to beat him in somewhere like Iowa or New Hampshire um, because of the tendency to rally around Trump from the GOP faithful when they feel like he is under attack. And what we're hearing, too, I mean, we heard Ron DeSantis say, um, you know, opens up a Pandora's box. You heard him there raising the possibility of Republican states trying to take right. Biden off the ballot. Chris Christie saying it makes Trump a martyr, uh, as you noted, Jackie. Here's a little bit more of what Chris Christie had to say. This should be decided by the voters of the United States. It should not be decided by courts. Um, and the fact is that while there may be um, people may think there's some justification for doing this. It's not good for our democracy. In the end, Donald Trump should be defeated by the voters at the polls. It's not just Republicans saying that, Sungman. Democratic Maine Congressman Jared Golden said in a statement after the decision out of his state last night, until Trump is actually found guilty of the crime of insurrection, he should be allowed on the ballot. How concerned are Democrats, Sungman, about potential blowback? Well, I think they're seeing kind of the political benefits that Donald Trump has been able to get out of all of his legal troubles, whether it's the criminal indictments or the or the rulings in Colorado and Maine. They know that, like Chris Christie said, they know this makes him a martyr. They they know that this kind of strengthens his standing in the Republican base. And if I had my suspicions, I don't think the Biden campaign really much want, wants to get involved with this at all. They barely commented on the Colorado ruling. They have not said a peep about the Maine Secretary of State's decision. They do want to beat him. I, I, I feel most Democrats feel that you know, they do want to beat Donald Trump fairly at the ballot box based on the contrast between, you know, presumably if Donald Trump is a general election candidate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden and not have Trump kind of thrown off these ballots in a piecemeal fashion, you know, in, in a couple of states across the country. When we look at all of this, too, it really does underscore just how critical the timing is here. I mean, we're all waiting with bated breath to hear from the right. from the from the Supreme Court. Are they taking up Colorado or right. are they not? But the reality is there isn't. I mean, holidays aside, there still isn't a lot of time, Jackie, available before these ballots need to be set. Well, these primaries are soon, Erica. They're yeah. just right around the corner. They'll be here before before we know it. So yes, there is a sense, a real sense of urgency here. And as you said, all our eyes are on the Supreme Court, which you know there has been has been under unusual scrutiny um, over the past year um, because um, for, for several reasons. And I think that will weigh heavily on someone like a John Roberts as to how to proceed here. Um, also wanted to get your take on some other political news coming out today. Ohio Republican Governor Mike DeWine, he vetoed a bill that would have banned gender-affirming care for minors and blocked transgender student-athletes from participating in girls' and women's sports. Here's his explanation for that decision for his veto. Ohio would be saying that the state, that the government, knows better what is medically best for a child than the two people who love that child the most, the parents. Something was that a surprise at all? I thought it 
it was a really interesting decision. And more interesting was Governor DeWine's explanation. Obviously, you heard what he said about how this should be the choice of the parents and then the doctors as well. And he also noted that his decision on vetoing this ban was really about protecting human life, that while it affects a very small percentage of children in Ohio, for the children that it would affect, it would have massive consequences. He framed it as a matter of protecting human life. So I thought his interest, I thought his explanation was really interesting. Of course, there is a super majority of Republicans in the legislature. This could be over, the, the legislature could certainly overturn that veto um, of, of Governor DeWine. And you're starting to hear some criticism from the campaign trail. Vivek Ramaswamy uh, weighed in earlier today opposing that decision. Uh, we'll wait to see if other Republican candidates are away. But a very interesting decision by Governor yeah. DeWine today. Certainly is. Sung Min Kim, Jackie Gusinich. Great to see you both, as always. And Happy New Year, my friends. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And speaking of the new year, just ahead here, heightened security across New York City ahead of New Year's Eve celebrations. CNN has an inside look at how law enforcement is preparing. In our national lead, officials say the Israel-Hamas war has contributed to a heightened concern of smaller lone wolf attacks on New Year's Eve celebrations. New York City officials are also planning to keep protesters away from Times Square. The groups that have regularly uh, protested in regards to Israel-Palestine have been 1,000 to to 5,000 on occasion. And, uh, you know, we're prepared for them at any number. We're prepared for different groups from different places. And, you know, we will make sure this event stays safe and peaceful. CNN's John Miller explains why these larger televised events like the one here in New York City are at higher risk and also has an inside look at how those threats will be monitored. New Year's Eve in New York City. Security, always tight, has been increased this year. While officials stress there is no specific reporting regarding any threats, a joint threat assessment based on analysis from 10 law enforcement agencies warns the Israel-Hamas conflict has created a heightened threat environment. Therefore, the intelligence community remains concerned about lone offenders using online platforms to express threats of violence against Jewish, Muslim, and Arab communities, as well as committing simple, unsophisticated attacks that are difficult to detect in advance. The assessment, obtained by CNN, reminds police that massive, live, televised events remain an attractive target for foreign terrorist organizations, as well as domestic violent extremists. It's a threat stream that will be monitored minute to minute leading up to midnight New Year's Eve in multiple command posts. From the NYPD's Joint Operations Center to its Intelligence Bureau to the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force gathered in an operations center in Lower Manhattan. October 7th was something of a flashpoint. Um, The uh, horrific attacks on Israel and the ongoing war and conflict that's happening right now uh, is, 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 is certainly motivating and inspiring people to do uh, bad things. Last year, a 19-year-old man from Maine traveled to Times Square with an attack plan that investigators believe was inspired by online ISIS propaganda. New York City police say Trevor Bickford was shot by officers after he attacked three of them with a machete at a Times Square New Year's security checkpoint. 
Beckford has pleaded not guilty and is awaiting trial. The security package, not just crowd control and traffic, but what they call the counter-terrorism overlay, includes a network of cameras, NYPD counter-sniper teams and skyscrapers above, bomb detection canines moving around the perimeter, dogs that can pick up the whiff of explosives, even moving through a crowd 100 feet away, radiation detectors worn by police on the street, and an especially equipped NYPD helicopter high above. Police are also focused on potential demonstrations. The war between Israel and Hamas has brought on protests in New York and clashes with police when some protesters announced their intent to disrupt the lighting of the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. The live televised event in Times Square is another potential target for disruption. We know what their tactics are. We're going to make some adjustments to our tactics. Uh, No one's getting to that ball. I can put it to that way. But protests, and even disorder, is not what keeps the NYPD or the FBI up at night. Terrorism is. And while the officials say there is no specific credible threat on their radar, this year they are doing more than ever, they say, to ensure that. You know, Erica, having been involved uh, during my NYPD time for eight years in planning the security package around New Year's Eve, one of the things that we learn is that there is no single line of defense that is going to prevent something uh, from someone who's been planning it. That's why they rely on these concentric circles. It's a layered approach. It's first the, the line of officers at the barricade. Then it's the people wanding and doing the bag checks. Then it's the vaporwake canines who can sense that wake in the air and put their handler onto a potential suspect. Then it's the counter-sniper teams in the high ground whose observation teams are actually scanning the crowd, looking for suspicious behavior, and then communicating with the plainclothes cops who are out there um, in the crowd. So it's not a single line of defense. It's the entire package, which they think may make Times Square not uh, the place where there's the biggest threat, but probably the safest place to be uh, in New York, if not the world. As you, as you lay all this out, right, showing us what's happening behind the scenes, giving us, I mean, that's such a great visual that you give there, John, as you're explaining everything that's there in these sort of concentric circles. What strikes me, too, is how long this planning must take. I mean, is this something that really actually begins on January 1 and goes all the way through the year? That's exactly what it is. And, you know, once the ball drops and the confetti flies and the music plays, um, you know, we always turned to each other and said, well... It's time to start planning next year. But during the year, you also learn something. Once we had the Las Vegas sniper case, we had to reconsider the entire theory of Times Square. That's why they have a hotel team of detectives in every hotel. That's why they have the counter snipers high above. Um, World events teach us something every year that we hadn't thought of the year before. Yeah, they certainly do. John, appreciate it as always. Thank you, my friend. Happy New Year. You too, Erica. Up next, California's famous beaches quickly went from scenic to life-threatening after huge waves crashed ashore. More on this right on the other side of this break. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. 
Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. I mean, that video. So this was captured on CCTV. Look at that rogue wave crashing onto a road of Ventura. You see it move that truck, it looks like. The people who were slammed, several bystanders' vehicles, at least eight people were sent to local hospitals. And this was just one of several massive waves that damaged coastal communities across the state. CNN's Lucy Kavanaugh has more on the violent waters pounding the West Coast. The terrifying moment a monster wave slammed into the Ventura, California coastline bystanders running for their lives. Everyone okay? The surge sweeping people and vehicles down the street. At least eight people taken to the hospital. This wave just came seemingly out of nowhere. Just this rush. I mean, you saw it. It was six, eight feet deep. I'm kind of just shaking. Um, just, I'm just trying to hold on to positive thoughts. The wave so strong, this lifeguard had to be pulled to safety by Good Samaritans. This is insane. When I was up on the pier, I actually felt the pier shaking. It doesn't even seem real. The massive waves pummeling the coastline, wreaking havoc, flooding streets and businesses. Like this beachfront restaurant in Santa Cruz. I just feel bad for the restaurants. I know they just went through renovations from the last time this happened. While coastal residents have seen plenty of Mother Nature's wrath, there's still concern. It's a pure state of panic, to be honest, as far as the community goes, because you know there's plenty out there that are not prepared. Crews and residents now dealing with the aftermath. Right now, uh, we're just trying to keep the houses from flooding. While also preparing for what's to come. Parts of the California coast could see towering waves through the weekend. Coastal flood and high surf alerts stretching from the southern border to the Bay Area. Officials urging caution. The ocean is a very dynamic, dangerous place. Always as a kid, it was never turn your back on Grandmother Ocean. So make sure you know that. And Erica, the dangerous waves, in fact, I can hear some behind me, have prompted authorities here in Manhattan Beach to close uh, the pier that you can see. But as you can also see behind me, authorities don't seem to be enforcing that rule. We've seen people streaming in here all day long, taking selfies, bringing their families there here to take a look. Uh, despite the very dangerous swell, we have seen waves come up to very close to where we're standing. At the moment, it's gotten a little bit calmer, but this just goes to show how life goes on as normal here in Los Angeles and the California area. Of course, the Manhattan Beach area spared some of that more dramatic destruction that we saw in Santa Cruz and the Ventura area. So yeah, basically, folks are very much taking advantage of the sunny day even though these swells, as authorities insist, can come up very quickly, can surprise people, and then you have to make a run for it, like we saw in some of that dramatic footage. And so even though people are sort of continuing life as normal, 
uh, we are hearing from authorities that yeah. they should be a lot more careful than perhaps what we're seeing. <laughs> well, let's hope maybe they start to listen. I'm glad that you and your crew are being careful. Um, we don't want you to have to run for it, but glad, glad to have the reporting, Lucy. Thank you. <laughs> Just ahead, the popularity of mushroom hunting is booming, and along with it are poisonings. More on that next. In our health lead, people have been foraging for mushrooms since the Stone Age. But recently, experts across the country say they've seen a pronounced increased interest in the hobby. And along with that has come a significant spike in poison control calls. CNN's Meg Terrell breaks down the often terrifying health consequences of eating the wrong fungi. I saw the mushrooms over here. Last September, Bill Hickman found what he thought were edible mushrooms growing near his house in Wyndham, Ohio. I looked down and I put my phone on it and it says, boom, it's a giant puffball. I'm like, oh, cool. So I put my stuff down over there and gathered a few up. But the app on his phone was wrong. Eight hours after eating the mushrooms, Bill got violently sick. You know, I, I just didn't think I was going to live. It turns out Bill had eaten four of what are known as destroying angel mushrooms, a highly toxic species. The first doctor pretty much told us we, we can't help him, you know, that he's, he's not going to survive. Warmer fall weather due to climate change is extending mushroom season. Nationally, reports of potentially toxic mushroom exposures are up more than 11 percent so far this year compared to last. To see just how diverse and potentially dangerous mushrooms can be, we went foraging with mycology instructor Rick Vandepol in New Hampshire. This one has what they call a classic farinaceous odor, so it's an odor of meal or farina. He uses smells, colors, and structural features to help determine which mushrooms are safe to eat. So these are puff balls. Open it up and show you that what the middle looks wow. like. Wow, it's right. a marshmallow. Yeah, exactly. They often call these the marshmallow mushrooms. Hmm. Um, and interestingly, they, in a soup, will soak up the fluid and the taste. So you can actually use these as little miniature Sort of mushroom sponges. And which ones are not? Where would you look for the, some of the ones that are poisonous? Let's go take a look. Okay. See oh, wow. That was orange. You can touch it, smell it. So that has the farinaceous odor. Hmm. So that if you got it's that. Subtle. So what will that do if you eat it? Uh, that'll make you sick. Hmm. Yeah, gastric upset. Won't kill you. But some can be deadly. So okay. that's it? So this is it. It doesn't look like much. It's this little brown mushroom. Hmm. And you know, you pick it off the log. So this is our deadly gallerina, gallerina marginata. What would happen if and you ate one of those? So this has amatoxins in it. That's a poison that destroys liver cells and can cause liver failure. Amatoxin was also in the mushrooms Bill Hickman ate. With his liver and kidneys at risk of failing, Bill was transferred to University Hospital in Cleveland, where doctors raced to get him an experimental antidote, an extract from the milk thistle plant called salibinin. The antidote worked. Bill slowly regained his strength, but says it took months to fully recover, both physically and mentally. There are a lot of people involved to make it happen to save me. Meg Terrell, CNN, Wyndham, Ohio.
What a story. Our thanks to Meg for that reporting. Now, Bill and Tammy said they wanted to share their story because they want to make sure others don't make the same mistake. Experts say foraging can be done safely, but you should always rely on a knowledgeable guide. Champagne problems, they are flowing in our Earth Matters lead, courtesy of the climate crisis, which is on track to potentially ruin many a future celebration. The three grapes used in almost all champagne, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Meunier, are at risk of being extinct by the year 2050. That's according to data from Silicon Valley startup Climate AI. Those precious grapes that combine to create champagne's unique taste only thrive in very specific weather conditions. And the human-caused climate crisis is changing those weather patterns. So not to whine about it, but overall global wine production is actually at its lowest levels in 60 years. Some traditional wine growers even considering a shift away from their growing regions. But when it comes to champagne, that strategy falls flat because by law, to be considered authentic champagne, to use that name, the bubbles actually have to come from France's champagne region. So on New Year's Eve, when it's time to pop that cork, you may want to make a toast to the champagne itself while you still can. Speaking of toasts, this Sunday, a New Year's Eve tradition continues right here on CNN. Anderson Cooper and Andy Cohen will host New Year's Eve live from Times Square. Coverage kicks off Sunday night at 8 Eastern. But you can start your day earlier with State of the Union. And if you ever miss an episode of The Lead, be sure to listen to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Our coverage continues next in The Situation Room. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 